Hello for lover, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Coming up, an anti-corruption agency in PNG welcomes the conviction of a lawyer, Also, In real time, discuss what actually happened over the last three years. Broadcasters from across the Pacific region share their challenges, and later on... I think New Zealand has come a long way in terms of acknowledging and celebrating its diversity. Samoan Language Week comes to an end in Aotearoa. Transparency International Papua New Guinea has welcomed the conviction of lawyer Paul Paraka, but says the depths of his activities revealed by the case are very worrying and concerning. Paraka, who had operated his own law firm, was convicted of misappropriating 162 million kina in government funds between 2007 and 2011. Transparency PNG spokesperson Peter Itzi says the evidence outlined the complex structures that Paraka and others put together. Don Wiseman asked him if, after 10 years of investigations, he found the resolution of the case startling. Uh, yes, it is, Don. Um, we've been watching this case uh, over the, for the last sort of 10 years, and we're very pleased, at least, that we've got a, an outcome in terms of the court process. But in terms of the information that's come as a result of the court case, it's, uh, it's very uh, concerning and very worrying, the, the depth of, of this man's activity. You mean you don't have the detail? You need the detail? Well, we have a, the court ruling, uh, which has been handed down by Judge Berrigan. And so as you look through that court uh, ruling, you can sort of get a sense of the kind of complex structures that are put together by these individuals in in terms of the the way that they conduct themselves. Paraka himself says he's going to appeal. He's called it a shocker. And he was talking about a lack of evidence and so on. He's going to debate that. And I guess you do, don't you? Yes. Well, look, you know, that's that's the right that's afforded uh, all citizens. And, you know, Paul Baraka is well able to uh, pursue an appeal uh, to a higher court, uh, and no doubt he will do. But in terms of this part of the process, we've got, now got a national court ruling which uh, uh, has uh, a justice indicating uh, that, based on the evidence presented, that she has ruled a, a guilty outcome. What does it say about this perennial challenge uh, in PNG against corruption and fraud? Well, as I mentioned, what it does provide for us as an insight in terms of the kind of structures that allegedly are created uh, in order for people to uh, defraud the state. And based on the evidence presented to the court, uh, this arrangement involved several law companies or law firms, fairly prominent lawyers as well have been uh, been implicated. And based on the ruling of the National Court um, by Justice Berrigan, with the evidence presented, she's found a ruling of guilty. So that in itself sort of says that, um, you know, that, that there should be a, a significant effort uh, within departments like the Department of Finance to ensure that these types of instances, these types of arrangements are never seen again. And you would presume that there are going to be subsequent charges for other people? Yeah, look, I think that's for the um, investigating officers to determine. You know, as I said, clearly the National Court has, has been able to, to arrive at a, at a decision based on the evidence presented. So one would assume that that evidence is available to other agencies to be able to pursue further charges. What do you make of the time? Because these offences occurred between 2007 and 2011. It's a long time ago. That's correct. Uh, And uh, I think that also reflects the the difficulty our agencies are are under when they investigate these types of complex and multi-layered arrangements uh, that they have to uh, investigate and uh, 
and exposed. So that's the difficulty. And then you then bring that to a, an already overwhelmed court system with possibly you know, agencies such as uh, public prosecutors who are probably already at their limit in terms of their capabilities and capacity. And you can see why some of these cases uh, do take a, a long time to, uh, to be completed. Yes, and it indicates a need for more resources to go into each of those areas, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, resources as well as regular sort of budgetary support, which allows them to uh, continue to maintain their, their capacity and to also uh, to be able to, to retain competent lawyers and competent uh, police investigators so that, uh, you know, that those agencies are properly resourced in order for them to uphold their, their constitutional and legal responsibilities. From TI's point of view, I mean, this case that's been drawn against Paul Baraka is a significant case uh, given it involves over 162 million kin worth of public funds. And those are just the funds that have been identified within this case itself uh, and paid to uh, different parties as a result of Baraka's activities. From a TI point of view, we'd encourage the agencies to continue to develop the evidence. And if there are further charges to be laid against individuals, then we would encourage them to ensure that they uphold their duty and responsibility. What are the challenges facing Pacific broadcasters in the region? The recent Pacifica TV Pacific Broadcasters Conference in Auckland brought together 25 broadcasters from across the region to share their challenges while also looking at solutions. The Broadcasting Corporation of Niue is the main radio and TV station on the island. Its head of news, Esther Pavihi, says it's been great meeting up with fellow broadcasters and now that the worst part of the pandemic has passed. This is a great opportunity for us to you know, see our colleagues and, and, and meet up and, and just in real time discuss what actually happened over the last three years or two and a half years that we weren't able to. But she says the challenges remain for most broadcasters. Talking about resources, we're talking about capacity building. And the last two days we've seen um, the potential. We, we recognise uh, and, and we share the, our stories about those challenges that we face. But we also see those opportunities. And I'm very optimistic for the future of uh, Pacific regional broadcasters. Throughout the two-day conference, internet connectivity was an issue for many. Peterson Sam is a commissioner for the Pompei Public Broadcasting Corporation in the Federated States of Micronesia. The broadcaster operates on five channels, both radio and television. The Federated States of Micronesia consists of four states from west to east, Yap, Chuk, Pompei and Cosre, that are spread across the western Pacific. Together, the states comprise around 607 islands that cover a longitudinal distance of almost 2,700 kilometres just north of the equator. Mr Sam says one of the challenges it faces is limited internet connectivity, especially during live broadcasts. Especially in remote places where the fibre optic cables that, uh, that doesn't reach, we are not able to do uh, any live coverage from those places. He says the conversations had at the conference have allowed him to pick up ideas on new things they could try. For the Secretary of Nauru Media Bureau, Kaylin Dekarube, the event has been eye-opening for her. So many um, stories that the speakers and the panels have shared that I thought for a small island like Nauru will be different. But really, it's we have the same issues that, that are happening to bigger islands. Mr. Karuba says Nauru Media is still developing. Both in radio, 
um, TV and newspaper. We are still developing in all aspects, in all areas, in tech, technical, everything. So as you know, the world is it's constantly developing and us, the small islands, are trying to catch up. The television station Caledonia was the only French media organization at the conference. Its CEO Ashley Vinden says it was great meeting with other broadcasters in the region. New Caledonia has to be connected with the other other Pacific Islands, you know. And so, yeah, I'm 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 proud to be here for Caledonia because uh, uh, I was the only French broadcaster, and uh, we we have to connect with each other. As a matter of fact, we have a strong connection with. Uh, VBTC in Vanuatu, and I was happy to see my friend Francis. One of the initiatives announced during the conference by Pacifica TV was a new regional training program for reporters. Fiji's Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka has alluded that the upcoming 2024 to 2025 national budget will be a needs-based budget and not a popular budget. This budget will mark the first under the new coalition government and Fijian expectations are high to see whether promises made while campaigning for the 2022 polls are delivered. Citizens are voicing their demands to the newly elected government during the ongoing nationwide consultations and these span various issues, including declining healthcare services and inadequate infrastructure like water and roads. Deputy Prime Minister Prasad discussed these matters in an exclusive interview with journalist Rachel Nath from RNZ Pacific. Well, this is um, uh, a, a part of a, a consultation process for the forthcoming budget that I will be delivering on the 30th of June. This will be the first budget of the new coalition government. Uh, as you know, the philosophy behind the, the government's governing agenda is to engage into uh, a wide uh, range of consultation and dialogue, something that was absent probably uh, for the last 15 or 16 years. Uh, We started uh, operationalizing those, uh, um, you know, principles and philosophies by organizing a national economic summit, which was hugely successful. Uh, we have appointed a fiscal review committee, uh, which again was a feature uh, of uh, governance and how government uh, dealt with the consultation on major policy announcements, including budget. Uh, again, you know, that was disrupted for the last 15 years or 16 years. We have brought that back. And uh, these consultations are part of that process of re-engaging with the people uh, in a free and open, uh, transparent and accountable manner. And so that's uh, the process that we are going through at the moment, leading to the budget that will be announced on the 30th of June. Right. And what are the concerns that Fijians are raising with your government on this nationwide consultation? Yeah, well, there are a number of issues, uh, Rachel, uh, you know, ranging from uh, deteriorating health services, uh, health infrastructure, uh, things like water, roads, uh, you know, normal uh, infrastructure uh, issues. Uh, Apart from that, uh, you know, people uh, are concerned about uh, the uh, rising cost of living, you know, which is a fallout from 
the COVID pandemic and uh, events after that. Uh, and uh, people appreciate the fact that uh, the new government uh, embarked on making sure that uh, we look after our people. Uh, for example, you know, in the first month uh, before the school reopened for this year, we had allocated $50 million uh, as part of our back-to-school support, and we were able to give $200 each to every student from preschool right up to uh, high school, and we spent a total of about more than $40 million and helped 214,000 students uh, because we realized that uh, coming out of COVID uh, and year after COVID, people were still transitioning into jobs, restoring their lost incomes, and therefore they needed support. And it was also an attempt to address the rising cost of living and cushion the effect on the uh, poor and, and low-income manners in particular. Deputy Prime Minister, can you talk into what physical strategies have you identified that can help raise revenue? Uh, first of all, I think there will be uh, obviously some tax measures, uh, you know, that we expect to uh, put in place. Uh, we are not also not just looking at uh, raising revenue, but we are also looking at cutting wastage, which we believe was quite significant, uh, you know, uh, uh, and noticeable, uh, you know, over the last, you know, several years. Uh, so uh, it'll be a combination of raising revenue, reducing wastage, and prioritizing expenditure in key sectors of the economy uh, mm-hmm. so that overall uh, we sustain the growth and in the medium term uh, and in the long term we're able to systematically, progressively bring down the debt-to-GDP ratio. Now, just on the back of that, wouldn't you say a tax increment would burn a hole in the pockets of Fijians living under the poverty line? No, any any tax policy, uh, uh, Rachel, would take into account, you know, those groups of people, you know, who are uh, below the poverty line and who are on the margins of the poverty line. So uh, any tax strategy, any uh, fiscal strategy uh, will uh, take that, uh, those uh, considerations uh, into account and we will craft a budget uh, that will uh, support uh, economic growth, support investment, but also ensure that we look after our people and cushion the effect uh, of uh, externally driven uh, rise in cost of living. That was the Fijian Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Finance, Professor Biman Prasad. Levayaso o Lingangana Samoa or Samoan Language Week comes to an end in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The Samoan language is the third most spoken language in New Zealand and the second most spoken in Auckland. Finau Fonua spoke with Jordan Tuingamala, son of the legendary Inga Tuingamala, about his ongoing journey into mastering the Samoan language. It's Samoan Language Week in New Zealand. It's a time of celebration for New Zealand's Samoan diaspora. I see my Samoan colleagues show up to work in, in the beautiful Pulatasi dress, Talofa shirts, 
Jordan, for our non-Samoan audience, could you describe how important this week is? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I, I feel really proud to be Samoan. Um, it's uh, it, it's a real honour to to be able to um, uh, pay respects to our our culture and our heritage because um, you know obviously um, you know our, our people left uh, the motherland. Um, for, for opportunities and um, you know that's that's uh, something that my my father was able to capitalize on when he came here to New Zealand um, and, and a lot of our people have managed to to um, uh, you know um, make the most of the opportunities um, here in New Zealand and Australia but it's always good to um, to know who we are um, to uh, you know, Stay uh, connected to our culture and, and to celebrate our, our diversity, I guess. So, yeah, really happy to um, celebrate Samoan Language Week and, and it also ties in um, well with the Samoan Independence Celebration. So, um, yeah, um, I know at the moment they've got the um, celebrations back in Samoa happening and, um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting time for us as Samoans. I suppose it also represents reconciliation with New Zealand. Um, we all know the history. It was a tumultuous time. Do you think it's there's a sense of reconciliation? Yeah, look, I, I think um, I think New Zealand um, has come a long way in terms of um, you know acknowledging um, and celebrating its diversity and. Um, it, it's evident when you look at the um, the different language weeks that pop up. So obviously you've got the Tongan language week um, later on in the year. Um, we're currently celebrating um, Samoan language week um, at the moment. Um, and so I, I think it is a, um, it, it's a sign that um, New Zealand is embracing its um, diversity um, over here and, and, that's that's great for us as as a people because um, I think there's a lot of strength in in, um, in our diversity. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of um, aspects from different cultures that we can all learn from, um, and so it's it, it's really important that we um, celebrate that together, acknowledge it, and um, and pay our respects to to the different cultures. That are, that are here in New Zealand. Language preservation, of course, is a challenge for any migrant community, any ethnic minority. Could you describe, as a young person yourself, the challenges you see with the preservation of the Samoan language? Yeah, I think there's... Um, it's, it's always going to be difficult, um, you know, to uh, preserve um the the language i guess if if there's other things competing for um our attention so you know you've got um social media now and and all these other things that um almost um can pull us away from um carrying on our our language and and our culture but with with things like this like the the um Samoan language week um we're able to reconnect um you know, and and stay grounded in our culture. And the the other thing as well is, um, like I know um, the Samoan culture is, is strong here in New Zealand. So we still have 
um, you know, our churches that we we check in with, you know, every week. Um, we we're getting, um, you know, um, better at uh, using our, our Samoan language in in our day to day life. So um, it could be there could be barriers to um, you know preserving our language, but I think we're doing a really good job um, as a people, you know, trying to make an effort. Um, to, to stay grounded in our culture and be proud of who we are. You know, we've got um, our different sports teams, um, for example, like, you know, the Tosa Amor, they, they had a, a really uh, good campaign at the last World Cup. Um, and so, you know, that makes us proud as a people. And, and we, um, you know, we kind of go back to our, our culture and our roots, um, you know, in celebration of what, they're, they're achieving on the world stage so um you know and in, in, in that aspect we're we're really good at um you know uh, carrying on our culture that's pacific waves for today to listen back head over to rnzi.com slash programs you can also download us on apple podcasts spotify and iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts so from myself and the team here at rnz pacific it's lover so fast for